Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury, and my guest this week is Larissa Levicheva. Uh, Larissa is a a scholar of the scriptures and a teacher of Bible at Wesley Seminary, and uh, she's uh, written a number of uh, books and articles on a whole number of uh, parts of the canon. She's uh, quite quite an expert in the scriptures, although a specialist in Ecclesiastes and a wonderful exegete of that book. But yeah, I'm glad to have her back on the show this week to talk about our text this week, which is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on so that others may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show, as well as receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Larissa. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Would you be willing to read the passage to get us started and then I'll say a prayer? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for all the good gifts that your son Jesus has bestowed on your church, his body, upon being exalted. So we who are of one faith, one Lord, one baptism, also 
have many guides, teachers, pastors, equippers of all kinds, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, in his ascension into the heavenly places, we are not left alone. He is not absent, but is present working through his spirit, through various means. And so there's a way of life that we're being invited into and that we confess that we uh, forget all too often. And so, Lord, I ask that we would be equipped this hour to teach and to learn and to equip those listening in spread around by time and space that they too will be equipped and be made equippers of others. We ask that you would do this by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for reading and thanks for joining. It's good to have you back. Thank you for inviting me back. Yeah. So what's uh, what's interesting here in this text to you today? Well, before we jump into the text itself, yeah. I'd like to point out that chapter 4 is a transition yeah. in the book from you know, the first three chapters that talk about what God has done, right? It's a narrative of what God has done for his people. With and lots of prayer and praise. Right. It's kind of has Christ. its own vibe. Yeah. yeah. But in chapter four now, he, um, Paul turns to uh, admonishing, right? Mm-hmm. To telling the people what they're supposed to do, right? So from kind of setting the the foundation for why this particular lifestyle is expected of the followers of Christ. And then in, um, I think, just the first verse of that chapter, uh, chapter 4, is is quite interesting. Now, he just laid the foundation of what God has done. Now he wants them to live a particular lifestyle. But what authority does Paul have uh. to tell them what to do? He says he's a prisoner. So... In the eyes of the world, it seems like he's in the worst possible situation. Obviously, the Roman rule has its upper hand. He's mm-hmm. a prisoner, so he's nobody. Yet, he points out that he's the prisoner for the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, while it may look like the Romans are in power, are in charge of his life, it's actually the Lord who made him the prisoner. So, it's, it's very interesting how... God is in charge of everything. He just said that right, in the first right. three chapters. So here he is still in charge, and that's what gives Paul the authority to tell the people how they're supposed to live. Right. So it's yeah. a very Paul-like way of um, of talking. Yeah, I'm remembering the opening the opening line of one to just use the parallel. If this is kind of the second half, right? Yep. You know, opens with Paul, an apostle of. Messiah Jesus through the will of God. Right. You know, and then he doesn't say his name here, but he says, I echo, you know, right. which you mm-hmm. don't need in, in English. I mean, right. in Greek, you don't have to have that there. Right. So I urge you, therefore, you all, mm-hmm. <laughs> I myself as a the prisoner, prisoner in the Lord. And Lord for Paul always means Jesus right. pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen a counterexample ever. Oh. You know, and then to walk worthy of the calling by which you were called. Maybe I, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but even the phrasing, like a translation here that I have, and I think yours did too, a prisoner for the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fine, but, it, you know, it's it's N, 
You know right. what I mean? Prisoner mm-hmm. in, in the, the Lord, Lord, which means like you, the way when you exposited it, that right. it's, it's actually by the Lord's will that he's here. It's, he's been imprisoned by Christ, for right. Christ, in Christ. It's kind of all those things. In is kind of a magical preposition in Greek, right? <laughs> right. Doesn't it kind, it kind of can do almost anything, really. Right. Yes. Can mean yep. with, by, through. <laughs> that is so true. But uh, it's just interesting to think, what does it mean to be a prisoner in the Lord? Lord. You know, it's not just, you know, because you could say everything's for his glory. But it's like, no, I'm really like, this imprisonment is, you know, in, with, and by. Presently, this is the Lord's place that he has me in, you know? Right. And also, it's it's interesting to think about that the admonitions are given to Christians who live in the Roman world who are under Roman rule. So everything that happens, happens because the Romans want it. And yet, is this really why it happens, right? I see, So there is this uh, countercultural, subversive message that Paul is saying, you know, sending that, yes, you know, Romans are in power, that's why I'm in prison, but... I'm actually in prison because of the Lord. So you should have the same type of attitude. Right? Yeah, so then so, that makes sense to some of these first virtues mentioned, right? With all humility and gentleness. Right. Those are themselves right. countercultural, right? To, what, right. <laughs> to the, Roman glory and Right, so bravado. humility and gentleness and something that Romans would consider as the worst possible thing. Right? <laughs> so why would you have those? But that's he exalts them to have those and to exhibit them, live with them, in this culture is very profound. Yeah, I like you reminding us of him in prison because there's always something risky when Christian leaders, preachers, professors tell other people to be humble. Because sometimes, (laughs) you know, they get the message, you know, submit to me. Right. So to hear someone who is himself humble or more specifically humiliated, lowly by his circumstances, lowliness lowly-mindedness is maybe a possible right uh, mm-hmm. translation yeah because it's it's tepeno frosunes right so the the no frosunes has that kind of cognitive element right or yes I, mm-hmm. okay right no that's so right. lowly-minded <laughs> right thinking think of yourselves lower than right but it's also a, an active verb, right? So you right. choose to think of yourself in this particular way. Yeah. It's not because others make you feel humble or humiliated. Mm-hmm. It's because you purposefully give up the power or the authority or the status that you may have. Right? So there is actually a lot of choice, personal mm-hmm. choice involved in this type of behavior. Yeah, same with the next word then, too, uh, prautetos, the meekness or gentleness. Yeah, th- this is an active virtue. This is not just a right. passive yes. yeah. fact. Yes, you choose to live this way. Yeah. And also, like if we go to verse 4, uh, Please, verse yeah. 1, sorry, uh, back for a minute. The word there is what's translated as a live a life is actually peripateo, as you mentioned, to walk. Yeah. Right, So our English translations are already an interpretation of that Greek word. But what's interesting, this word is used throughout this epistle, as you know, Paul is talking about the way you walk in this life, right? Which is uh, consistent with the uh, way the verb to walk 
halak in Hebrew or peripatia mm. in Greek is used in the Bible, right? Walking is always uh, not just a movement from place A to place B, but it's the type of life you live as you walk. So okay. walking with God, living a particular life. So he's calling the Ephesians to walk a life worthy of the calling they have received, right? So what what is it? So if we look in, in the first three chapters where he talks about that, in chapter 2, uh, verse 2, he says, in which you used to live or used right. to walk when you followed the ways Good. Oh, of this yeah. world. And then in 417, for example, he'll say, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must not, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Yeah. Right? But in 5.2, but walk in the ways of life, just as Christ loved us. And wow. Gave himself. So, I mean, these are just a couple of places that I mentioned, but this, this whole idea of walking, so living a life means a you know, daily exercise, right? Because, you know, this is the ancient world. That's what they do. They walk. Mm-hmm. Whenever they need to get anywhere, they walk. You know, as in... Yeah. Like in Deuteronomy, right? Um, six, where as you walk with your children, right? You teach them about the ways of the Lord, right? So that's that's the whole idea of walking. And, you know, if we think of... Like the Old Testament, you know, Micah 6, 8, right? Walk right. humbly. Yes. yes. So just like that whole idea of a particular lifestyle, daily lifestyle that's seen by others in what you're doing. Mentioning the walk, it's so obvious now, like how walk is, although the word appears prior to four, mm-hmm. in some ways kind of unites the second half of the book. Right. And I'm reminded... We actually mentioned this on a on an episode, not on Ephesians. Last time Sophia Fasua was on the show, it was the last episode in our Second Corinthians series earlier this summer. Although we're working ahead, so now we're you're like, earlier this summer. What? No, I'm, <laughs> but uh, we talked for a little bit about Watchman Nee has this classic book. Are you familiar with Nee? He's a Asian Christian. Wrote amazing spiritual he's awesome he's really good man check him out anyway he has a book called sit walk stand Mm. and it's all on ephesians because of course the first part of ephesians is how we're seated in the heavenlies with christ right so like our identity the calling to which we are called to use the language of this Mm. verse right right and then how do we walk in light of that and then I think, I don't remember where stand appears. I, I read the book in college, so I'm trying to remember. But the standing, it might be in six with the, the, the armor okay. to take mm-hmm. your stand, right? right. So yeah. there's, there's where we sit, who we are, and then there's the way we walk in light of where we're seated. Right. I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. Does yeah. that sound about right in terms of yeah. the flow of the book as a whole? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I would agree with that, yeah. But it sounds like this walking is kind of a sort of a stock is is stock language, stock Hebrew metaphor mm-hmm. for a way of life. Right. Okay. Yeah. So for Paul, you know, Paul is <clears throat> familiar with that, of course. So Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, I probably say that, I'm probably saying this like way too often this summer because we're in Paul so much, but on the show, but I read somewhere a Jewish scholar talking about Paul saying that he writes in Greco-Roman Yiddish, <laughs> right? It's this kind of... <laughs> 
He's, yep. he's thinking yes. in Hebrew and writing in Greek. Right. And so that helps you track him sometimes is his choice of language, his choice right. of terms, even his, even sometimes his strange sentence structure right. is kind of has a certain Aramaic logic to it. Right. You know, I don't know how you, yeah. no, does that that's, sound about right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, but even like if we kind of jump ahead in, in Please, yeah. seven, I'm sorry, seven and eight, right? He, out of the blue quotes Psalm 68 yeah. and it's like, oh, what's going on? What does that, why is he doing it, right? So it's obviously his Jewish roots somehow mm-hmm. influencing it. But what's interesting it's is that... It's a weird that, quotation, though. It feels out of place at right. first glance. Yeah, but it's also not a direct quotation. He changes the language, so it is not a quotation. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, he... Of course, he's he, a synagogue kid, right? So he would have grown up reading the, Hebrew. Right. And so he might be kind of... trans. He might have things memorized in Hebrew, and he's translating them kind of into Greek from his head loosely or is it too different to be explained by that I could just, be he could be using yeah. Septuagint different right or so it's already Hebrew Greek. manuscripts okay right. but both Hebrew uh, the, but uh, it doesn't the Hebrew match the text, Septuagint either no okay and the Septuagint have when you ascended on high you of course because it's a royal psalm addressed to the right right go ahead sorry I cut you no, off no 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 that's fine but he changes this to he Ascended he to captives. Yeah, yeah, no, that's. <laughs> and then there is something in here that's nowhere at all. He gave gifts to his people. This is not in Hebrew or oh, in. that second um, line? Septuagint. That's the last line, the third line. And gave gifts. Yeah. Because Weird. actually in the psalm, it says that he took gifts. Like he accepted right. gifts from the people as a way of. You know, praising some him. kind of enthronement moment or some kind right. of victory, perhaps receiving right. yeah. tribute from other. Right. So what's what's happening here is that the Aramaic targum, right, which is basically an Aramaic commentary on that psalm, actually adds that line because uh, the Aramaic has this psalm attributed to Moses. So it's Moses who ah. is praised. Okay. So, and because Moses gives the Torah to the people. The Torah is the gift. The Torah is the gift. So, he gives gifts to the people. So, now Paul is using that Aramaic teaching. So, not Hebrew, not not Septuagint, but that particular thing. That's already uh, available. Right. And the rabbis are using that. It's already existing at his time. And, of course, he isn't looking something up when he does. He is just quoting this, I'm sure, from from memory. Right. But he may even be thinking of it all as a scripture. Right. But then I think nowadays, how often do we, interpretations become so standard, they become, they get conflated with the text right. itself. Is that yeah. kind of how yeah. we would think so of it? So he's using rabbinic exegesis. He's yeah. just staying in the tradition. Kind of quoting it as as a standard. In the text, yep. That's oh, so 68 in... Although that that's a classic, uh, that's a that's a good Pharisaic move, right? I'm using that yep. Pharisaic in the positive or neutral right. sense, but a rabbinic move, I'll say, to right. during exile, and especially for him as a diaspora Jew, right? You'd be much more attracted to Mosaic rather than Davidic interpretations of Psalms, yeah, yeah. And that just occurred to me that the Davidic thing was so caught up with the land and Israel and right. the kingship. Right. On that ship's kind of sailed. Right. <laughs> you know, like, so if yeah. you're growing up as a diaspora Jew in Tarsus, 
though, who's gone to Jerusalem and learned at the feet of Gamaliel. So you're ex- you're deeply immersed in Aramaic rabbinic traditions. Right. But wow, so Moses. But you don't have the land, right? You don't own the yeah. land. You have the temple, but it's really not your temple because the Roman, you know, the yeah. Romans are looking in. Yeah. So but, there is no pillars so, left except yeah, for the Torah. Right. So so Paul is he's he's a radical enough Pharisee to be a little less jazzed about the temple than the Sadducees. Correct. Though he's not as radical as the Essenes and Quran to think that it's just an illegitimate temple. Right, right. right. But you can see him on that spectrum. Right. And he's already maybe on the, far enough on the radical Pharisee spectrum that the, his vision of the risen Christ can nudge him over into an even more, because there's something kind of somewhat parallel between what Quran's doing. Right. Because in some sense, he's kind of like, yeah, well, the temple, you know, <laughs> right. the real the real temple, the real body, the real land, it's it's the flesh of Christ and his. Right. And man, as a diaspora Jew, that's pretty exciting because actually it's sort of fulfilling. Right. So all he is looking to is the Torah, right? The, the, the <sighs> law of Moses and because nothing else exists, right, for him. And that's why yeah. in all of his writings, he has his main argument is with the Torah, right? With the law, not with the temple. He doesn't say don't go to yes. the temple. Not with the sacrifices. He doesn't say stop. And it's not because he, he hates the law. It's because the law is the most important thing. Right. For thing him, that's left. all yeah. that's left. So it's that law-centric right. reality that would be true of... Right. All post-exilic teachings. Right. And I imagine, am I wrong to assume that it's it, that's especially powerful for diaspora folk who don't right. get to go to temple four times a year or whatever? Yep. Okay. Man, that's that's already... And that's just worth the whole price of admission on this episode, that your analysis there of 68. But let's keep right. talking. Let's take a quick break, though, and <laughs> sure. come back and explore this some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with our guest, uh, Larissa Levicheva, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So right before the break, we were looking at this expanded citation, quotation from <laughs> Psalm 68. Was there more you wanted to say about that, or do we want to look at his little uh, exegesis of it there in the following three verses, which is super weird and awesome? Yes, we can go Straight to into that. that. Okay, yeah. yeah. And even, so what's interesting, we were talking about how Paul is a good example of the rabbinic exegesis, right? And that's exactly what he's doing, what does... He ascended mean, except that he also descended. He's just explaining what it means, right? Yeah. That's, that's what you would see in a synagogue the rabbis do. Yeah. And that's how they learn. But at first glance, that could be Moses. Ascended made them right. think of the mountain. That makes sense. Right. But he's clearly thinking about or Christ here, Christ. I assume, right? Yeah. And, you know, descended to the lower earthly region. So it's... Mm-hmm. So Paul clearly thinks of the earth is where, like, the lower regions, right, not hell. That's mm-hmm. not what he's talking about here. Talking about going to the grave, down into the grave, or, or not? Depends if it's no, that's just being on earth. Being on earth. That's okay. In that world, the understanding of the lower realm was the okay. earth. So, right, when you go up, you go into the air, and then you go higher when you ascend. Got it. So it's not into the lower parts of the earth. It's 
into the lower part that is the earth. Yes. It's kind of a right. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So for him, Christ descends to earth, lives among the people, and then he ascends back to God. But earth is where he stays mm-hmm. when he is uh, in the lower realm. So in in all of this, as he uh, reinterprets Psalm sixty eight in light of Christ, right, and what he has done, it again ties it all back to to the first chapter and yeah. talking about how much Christ has done and what God has done in Christ and through Christ. Ascended and seated and filling all things and right. fullness of God, all that stuff. Right. Yeah. So that, that language of in everything, through everything, right, that we'll see, we've already seen before and now uh, goes on. It's almost like Paul is, again, reinterpreting the whole Shema. Hmm. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Lord God is, is one. one. And the then, one, one, one here. Okay. Right. So it's still that same one, but now we can see it in so many other oneness, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one face, one baptism, one God, the father of all. Right. So it's Paul is still very much Jewish mm-hmm. in his understanding, but he's trying to explain how Jesus fits into that oneness. Yeah. Right. He's not another He's still part of that one. Yeah, so they, they should... S- Ephesians, you know, being Gentiles and never having to worry about the Shema, right? Or think about that way. Yet, he uh, helps them see that among so many other gods, right, there is only one. So that still fits within their worldview. Just right, like it fits okay. within Paul's. Yeah, so the the risk of a kind of polytheistic interpretation of of Christ right. as being just another. Sort of, so he's pushing against that here and drawing on his right. rabbinic heritage to make that point. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And you you'd take Ephesians to have a primarily uh, Gentile Christian audience. I'm just curious if that's. I mean, Ephesians is a tricky one because it's right. kind of a generic, maybe a cover letter. It's not right. a circular letter, so the yeah. audience is a little. Although the opening chapter seems to really feel that way, where he says, us, 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 and then he switches, and even you. Right. Because, you know, in 2, two it says, in which you used to live when you right. followed the ways of this world, right, as Gentiles. Yeah, so it doesn't make any sense to... So when he's talking about the dividing wall and all that stuff, he's talking about the, a general truth. He's talking about, uh, of course, a wall that might have been between him as a Jew and them, and all the apostles, early apostles. Right. Not necessarily addressing sort of Jewish Gentile tensions within the churches, or is that on his mind as well? It's because it's a different. It's different when we we bump into those tensions in some of the right. other books, and right. so it's easy to read them into places like this. But right. Well, I wonder historically how much the tensions are present mm. and how severe they are. Right. Mm. Because the the way he talks, it always seems like they're still meeting in synagogues. Yeah. Right, that that feel where everybody comes and, you know, men and women are separated. Yeah. Right? So, it's still that very Jewish setup. Mm-hmm. Yet, the, there are so many Gentiles in the community. So, a lot of them, be, upon joining the way, right. they, in most cases, would have ended up just joining the synagogue as well. Or often already were, perhaps, right. God-fearers or what have you. Yeah. Okay. 
so the tensions are more a function of just their role in this emerging kind of party within the synagogue. Yeah. Rather than thinking of it as a church that has Jews and Gentiles in it, it might be more at least historically accurate to think of it as a synagogue with Christians and non-Christians in it. Right. Is that? Yes. I would. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, was like, was Lydia, we know they're meeting by by the river and then move on, uh, move to her house. Right. So that's definitely a different location. Although those house meetings might are on a different day. They're on the first day of the week. And so you could still be a full, could be a member in good standing of the synagogue as well, meeting on the seventh day of the week. Right. Okay. Or going to both. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And not seeing that as a, yeah, of any. This is like your midweek service or your Bible study. Right. Yeah. 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 You being who you are now completely because you're following Christ. Yeah, like a good upstanding Presbyterian who's like slumming it with the charismatics on Sunday night, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, that's an sure. anachronism, but it's an right. analogy that yeah. is at least somewhat illuminating, I would hope, you know, right. that, that these aren't, sep- you know, sort of separate institutions. Yes. But overlapping communities. Right. Okay, so then this ascending and descending, which, I mean... Verse 11 and following is such a, this an important text in people talking even to this day about so-called offices in the church or something like that, right? But it's right here bound up with this very mysterious rabbinic exegesis of the <laughs> right. psalm that already had a mosaic reading, right. which I didn't know about. Thank you. That's very helpful. So then the shift over to the a messianic reading, a Christ reading is pretty actually a pretty easy move once you right. <laughs> believe yeah, in the resurrection yeah. of Jesus. It's like, oh, okay, well, he's the one who <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> descended and ascended and then distribute these gifts, but it's not just the gifts of the law. It's now the gifts of these, and I assume because it's the same verb, give in 11, right. the images of him upon his resurrection exaltation. Right. Tell me if I'm missing this. No, no, no. no. He That's then, fine. these are the gifts that he kind of, Distributes, right. Right? right? But what's interesting here Apostles, is... Apostles, prophets, etc. Right. So these are... We should not see this in the same way as uh, the other places where he talks about gifts. Yeah, right? this isn't These like, are more like people. Yeah, this is that are people given, not that some people will have the gift of apostleship. Yeah, no, no. It's these rather, aren't concepts. Yeah. Right. So these are people who are already in the church, most likely. It's a completely different term, right? Charismata is a different word than here is being used is a doken. This is, did, you know, did me. Right. So it's don't, I, that's helpful to, those are giftings. Right. You know, um, yeah. charisms as it were, similar root word, not identical, but. But also. These are donations. These are, I no, almost right. want to use a different English word to yeah. highlight. Yeah. So it's like he gave gifts to his people, right? In uh, verse mm-hmm. eight, right? Yep. Adoken Domata, yeah. 60, uh, Psalm 68. So these are the gifts that he gave to his right. people. You know, apostles, people. prophets, right. People. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, Just, pastor, teachers. Right. Just a, a side note. Verses 17 through 16 is just one sentence in Greek. It's, it has 124 words. Oh, my heavens. That's a long one. 124 <laughs> words. Which makes sense, though, because verse 7 is already establishing that. Right. You know, right? Uh, given to each. Grace was given to each according to the measure of the donation of the Messiah. Right. So that's almost quasi-thesis statement up at the top, right? So yeah. after all this oneness talk, yeah, okay, there, are, there is this differentiation with the community. 
and then he provides his text and then exegetes it. Right. Wow, that is a monster sentence. You're right. It just <laughs> flows. I get so used to that with Paul that I kind of didn't even notice how stinking yeah. long it was. And in English, it's too long, so we yeah. break it into yeah. several. But it's all uh, talking about you know, equipping his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity, right? So that whole, you know, until 16, the whole passage is, that's what it means, right? This is how we do it. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. the means by which the oneness that is, is achieved. Yeah. So yeah. in some sense, the oneness is already a reality in the heavenlies. That's what we already learned in the first half. Right. Right. Yes. Wall's been broken down. Right. So, you know, in, a, in accordance from the perspective of the head, the kafala mm-hmm. from the head, we're one already. But obviously, <laughs> we're not actually walking that way. Right. Hence the need for gentleness, humility, etc. So what are the means by which that oneness yeah, and is, unity is achieved. Yeah, is achieved in the body, okay. as it were. Right. So it's all about, again, going back to verse 1 in chapter 4, right? To live um, a life worthy of the calling, right? Mm-hmm. So that the calling that is the unity, right? So again, g- going back to the first three chapters and like Paul is tying it all together. So the, the calling you have received is the calling that's given to the community, right? You is plural. Right. Of course, which English doesn't, um, doesn't help us to see. Yeah. Y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Just had Matt Leroy on last week, and I was right. using y'all, and he was liking that. But Yeah, and that's why unity is so important. It's the calling. It's like Paul is saying that, yes, we're individually called, but we are called to join the community of the like called people right so the unity is only achieved in the community when the community works together right mm-hmm. so one head one body so here's yeah one spirit just as also okay. yeah so we were called right in one hope okay. of right so it's the calling of yours i mean it just keeps Right. Saying it over and over and over is calling what, like four times in those opening four verses? Yep. Did I count that right? Four? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think so, at least. Yeah. Worthy so, of the calling to which you're called, one, and then call language comes back in in verse four. Right. And it's doubled oh. again there. Yep. Yeah, this it's one calling into one body, powered by one spirit, right. under one Lord. Right. You know, signified by one baptism. I mean, in some sense, all those ones are built around that calling. Yes. That singular calling. Right. Uh, that's into oneness, from oneness. Okay, yeah, yeah. So then, just the last little question before the break. So, how is it that these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, how is it that they are generative of unity you know and maybe it's just my modern mind thinking Mm -hmm. aren't the aren't people who think that they're those things aren't they usually what's causing our divisions (laughs) (laughs) but you know i mean what what's the kind of vision of service of leadership of of equipping that he has in mind here uh what's kind of the logic of the passage How, how are those unifying agents of christ what do you think he's envisioning here? Yeah, I think he he sees these people working for the sake of others, right? So they're not doing it for their own sake. And 
because they are gifts to the to the community. The community is actually using them. Does does it make sense? Yeah. So it's not like they step up. Like, well, I'm the apostle, so I'm going to do this. Right. It's, well, because you are the apostle, we need you to do this for us. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's always at the service. So it's really, you know, right now, what we would say, you know, servant leadership. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he sees them as leaders. Yeah, like that's not the word here. Yeah. They, they're not And the word leaders. ministry is not used here either, is it? No, just works. Works of service. So, right, right, right. Where's that works of service? Twelve. Yeah. Notice? But even there, it seems as though they're equipping right. all the saints yeah. for the works of service. It's yeah. not their works of service to the saints. Right. That's they're equipping the saints the to perform the works of service. Right? right? Or am I yeah. misreading the No, no, no. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And they are doing it until we all reach unity in the face and knowledge, become mature. So The measure and stature definitely. of the fullness of Christ, which is great body language because he's saying right. we're the body of Christ. Right. And it's almost like, you know, only the head is fully exalted Belgium. and ready. It's like this big head on a tiny body that needs to grow <laughs> up. You know what I mean? Like it's not, yeah. we're not there yet. We're not fully mature. We're still a little awkward as it right. were. Right. And, you know, being an apostle himself and always claiming his yeah. status as the apostle, he, in this, seems to, you know, seems to say that I humble myself to Just serve to you yep. so that you will be mature rather than look at me, I'm already mature, or as an apostle, yeah. I'm better than you. Well, before time slips away, I know I was saying that was my last question before the break, but let me ask one more. Sure. Do you have any thoughts on, again, apostle concept, relatively clear in Paul's letters, but the language of prophet and evangelist and to a lesser extent even pastor and teacher, well what does he mean by these terms? You know, it's so it's so tempting to read into those back in anachronistic notions, you know, modern day notions of prophecy or evangelism, right? Those aren't really the words but even later Christian history that evangelist means the, the, the writers of the gospels i don't think that's what he's talking about either right so what is what do these words mean well i wonder you know you like think? was the evangelists it's those who bring the good news right, right? and that i wonder if he's thinking of isaiah right oh. what is it how yeah yeah how beautiful how, are the feet of those who bring good news yeah right and the, the good news about what god has done right mm-hmm. so I wonder if he is using them, like, well, prophets, he must be thinking back to the Torah and to the rest, you know, of the Tanakh, right, to the writings and the prophets. So, basically, telling telling the people that everybody has its place, there is a purpose in what they're doing, but everything points to the same direction, Mm -hmm. right? So, thinking about the way we understand prophets now as opposed to how he understands it, I think there is a very big difference. Yeah. So, and I don't think we should be in putting our understanding of prophets now into what he thinks. I think he really looks back yeah. at his scriptures so he'd and be the prophets to, there. So he'd be inclined to think of Christ as the Messiah in some sense in a kind of, in almost kind of a weird uh, and fun kind of backwards time frame as the giver of the prophets and the good news bringers, even that preceded Christ. 
Right. But who pointed to, to him? him? That's right. So, so it's because all of these characters, it's because apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers, it's because of their their pointing, whether through the script, you know, whether these are past or present persons. Right. It's their pointing to the one Lord, Jesus. Right. And now I'm having a and now I'm having more clarity on your earlier answer. That's exactly how they foster that unity. Right. It's not that yeah. they unify things through themselves. They unify through uh, directing our attention constantly to Christ. Right. Is that? Yeah. Okay. And even with pastors, I wonder, again, we can only wonder, right? Is he thinking about Christ calling himself, I'm the good shepherd, mm. right? I'm mm-hmm. no pastor, as we would say. But then going back to Ezekiel 34 and 35, right. where the leaders were bad shepherds. Right. And God says, but I will be your good shepherd. And now Christ mm-hmm. comes and says, I am. Right? So they know immediately what he means then. Now Paul is kind of looking back, using the same metaphor. Now the good leaders, mm-hmm. like how God intended them to be, the good pastors of the flock. Paul, so it sounds like you're disinclined. Sorry, I cut you off. but No, I'm just saying, like the way I see it, Paul can only function in the worldview that he's familiar with. Yeah. Right? And his worldview is the Jewish worldview. Yeah, it's the Torah, it's the prophets, it's the Psalms. Right. This is how he operates. So, so would yeah. you, you'd be disinclined to, to see these as sort of distinct offices within the church, these four to five terms here? Uh, this is much more... What I'm hearing is a more, I'll use a term, and you can ignore mm-hmm. the term, just the, it's a placeholder, a, a sort of a covenant history or salvation history kind of right. take on verse 11. Is that what I'm kind of hearing you say? It's a little less of a, like it, when this text would have been read in Ephesus or Colossae or Laodicea mm-hmm. or wherever it had been passed around, right. the you're not imagining people would read this letter and say a house church like Lydia's, you know, mm-hmm. and they'd look around. Oh yeah. There's a prophet. You know, Jim, right. he's a prophet and Jerry, he's a evangelist. And you know, Susie, she's a, a shepherd. They wouldn't think of them that way. This is more kind of, these would be kind of just overlapping terms to describe the way that God works both in the past and in the present. Right. And obviously I apostles would- a clear, has a clear, right. Meaning, but these other terms are a little vaguer, and I'm trying to because it's very common in churches to think of these as like, well, these are the right the offices that that are in the church, you know. And I think that's because this passage is read together mm-hmm. with the one in Corinthians, right, or Romans. Got it. But if I think this is very that, different helps. from okay. that. Got it. It's I don't know, like you know, Olympics are coming, so like the the team, right, mm-hmm. for the team to succeed. It's not just one person who, su- right. who is successful. Right. You don't, I mean, you, you count individual medals, yeah, but you usually count team medals. Mm-hmm. Right. And the team medals are only there because the whole team works together. So I think that's, that's what he is doing. You know, some, like some, some are very fast, some are very, mm-hmm. I don't know, he can jump high or swim fast, right? But only as we all come together and work together for a purpose which is to become mature, then that becomes relevant. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess I'm just asking if there is a distinction. So, like... It, Probably it, not from here. Yeah, right. So, like, over in Corinthians, right. that's clearly the gifts of the whole team. This is often read, and, I'm, and I don't mm-hmm. know if this is right. My own jury's out on this. 
these tend to be read as the coaches, as it were. Right. Verse 11. And if that's a misleading read, you know, whereas the saints are the whole team. Right. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, these are your coaches, as it were. And if that's a misleading read, I'd happy to have you correct us and those of us who have (laughs) fallen into that. Do you know what I mean? Right. If these are as much Old Testament figures as they are present tense figures, um, right. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Although in Acts, we do bump into, you know, prophets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So there were yeah. the, these these uh, these activities continued in some right. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to see Paul drawing from what he's known, right? Mm-hmm. The, as we would say, Old Testament. Right. right? The Bible. And the Bible, right. <laughs> and reinterpreting right. all of that as pointing to Christ. So all of these different people. But though, you know, now that we um, talk about it and I start thinking more, like how would the Ephesians, like the Gentiles among them, would even know about that? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, would even know about prophets or apostles or... Yeah, that's the question like, to me is like, are they going like, to hear the word... Why would they even care? Yeah, would they hear a word like prophet? Would they hear a word like bringer of good news and think oh okay you mean we should read the bible more or is it like oh i'm yeah right uh uh steve you know he's a great (laughs) prophet right are they thinking of yeah living breathing people and maybe there's maybe part of the trouble is i guess what i'm hearing you say is that the gap between what's in paul's head and how it's being taken is a gap already happening right away (laughs) it's not just like Because, of course, within a, within 100 years, this is taken as these are offices in the church right. and then the debate yeah. over whether we still have prophets around or not, you know, and apostolic succession and all these problems that came later. Those aren't just like random problems. It might have been it might have been ambiguous the first time this was read out loud is what I'm hearing you say. Right. <laughs> to a I, bunch I of think, Gentiles. <laughs> right. Because like why? Or, you know, quoting Psalm 68 to them, it's like, What? Right? It's a very, it's a really very narrow yeah. understanding, very narrow interpretation. Only few people would know about that in the world at the time, right? <laughs> right. How many Jews as opposed to the Gentiles? So I yeah, think Paul is very narrow. Say it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to say. He is very, very Jewish. He's trying yeah. to be more than, but he's limited. It's funny, like, most of our conversation today. Uh, Lara, as a you know, lover of the the Tanakh, the Torah, mm. the the writings, the 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 prophets, identifying the the Jewishness of his exegesis and his thinking up to this moment in our conversation has been like sort of praising Paul, <laughs> and I think you are on on one level, but sa- we're, you're showing there's another side of that which is like I don't think they even knew what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Because yeah. it's very idiosyncratic, right? Kind of ways of reading. Yeah. Although perhaps you know, utterly crucial for the development of you know Christian thought and life, because right. he was this key. He was this transitional figure, right? You know, to kind of use these rabbinic techniques to kind of make sense of this new event, right? You know, and how much of those we have to understand, or our people have to understand, is a is a good uh, homiletical question we'll return to after our break. Sound good? Yes. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. 
I'm here with uh, Larissa Lebicheva, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let me just read the text a uh, fresh time just to get it in our ears again and for our audience to hear it again, especially if you're listening in the car or on a walk or doing dishes, you might have lost track of some of the, the flow. So let me read it, and then we'll explore some sermon starters yes. and offer some advice. So Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was donated to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's donation. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he donated donations to humans. And when saying he ascended, What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavenlies that he might fill all things. And he donated the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip for the equipping of the saints unto the work of of service for the building up of the body of the Messiah until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature humanity in to the measure of the stature and the fullness of the Messiah so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Messiah, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Yes, let's explore some sermon starters. What a... If you were being asked to preach or teach on this or offering advice to those who were, obviously we've given some content, but what would be a, what, what would be an entry point in, in ongoing preparation on a text like this? Yeah, I think, you know, if we look at the beginning of the chapter right before verse 7, 1 to 6, where it talks about what that calling is, mm-hmm. right? Be completely humble, gentle, be patient and all that. It's, I think... This is something that we often hear as a admonition for every one of us mm. to do and be, you know, be gentle, be humble. But the admonition is given to the body, to the community. How so? How do we do that as a community? Yeah, and you know, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. The unity comes from the spirit. We're not right. You know, we're not called to make the unity. We're called to make every effort to keep it, which means... To keep a unity that already exists. Right. Not to create one out of nothing. Right. Right. So, which means it's hard work, right? Make every effort. Yeah. 
So it's not an easy. So how do how do we do that? And I would think in each community that would be different because of whatever problems may exist and the differences may be. But how is that community to keep the unity of the spirit and how to be humble and be patient, bearing with one another, not just being tolerant and kind of not yeah. paying attention and you do what you do and I do what I do, but actually how do you bear the differences? Mm-hmm. So I think it in a time uh, like ours right now where polarization is so, I don't know, so high on pretty much every issue, mm-hmm. how do we as a church, right, as a community of Christ, as the body of Christ, and as a local body of Christ, live differently, walk differently? Mm-hmm. Right? So how do we become the witness or how we are the witness? So I, I think it's it's a very challenging text and that would I think to preach on it and to offer um, ways of doing it will require a lot of preparation on the part of the yeah preachers. But the hope is that they know their community. Yeah. Right? So Yeah, equipping the saints. Right. But right. Then, That's it, you're actually doing that. I mean in some ways the Second right. half is describing the task that's given right. to right. to every shepherd in our time. Right. And then the community can see how you are a gift to the mm. community if you, you know, lead and shepherd and, you know, pastor in this way. But I also find it very interesting, and that's a different idea altogether, where in 14 he says, then we will no longer be infants. Hmm. So is he saying that they are infants? Hmm. Right, because they are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. At least he's humble enough to include himself in the we, but right. nevertheless, yeah. Right. So, you know, like taking the temperature of the community mm. that we are part of. So, where are we? Are we in this, you know, maturity, maturation process? Are we still an infant because we exhibit this? Yeah, milk, but not on meat yet. Right. Or are we actually pass this tossing and turning and every teaching that comes in or whatever we see on social media or Mm -hmm. whatever we see on TV, right? How does that affect us? Or are we past that and actually living as mature body? Yeah, boy, going with that second one, I could see how the, the scriptural reference to verse 11 could be very relevant to this question of the kind of swept away by every doctrine. Um, It's possible that Paul, well, whatever Paul's thinking, I don't know. It's possible that the Spirit now is inviting us through this text, through these words of Paul, to not actually say, okay, who's my apostle? Who's my prophet now? But to say, if I don't want to just be swept away with everything, to draw back to the original apostles right. and then with through them to the prophets, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to the, the first prophet, Moses, to take these as our teachers in some sense. Um, right, yeah. So you say that maybe they might have missed that even the first time it was read <laughs> and Paul crossed his fingers that the the Jews in the room would help the Gentiles make sense of it. 
And perhaps even now is an opportunity for us to say that we're never going to achieve unity by trying to find figures now. We tend to think we're going to find unity if we have someone that we can all unite around. Um, But it's actually the it's it's the original history of the covenant fulfilled in Christ that's going to be our place of unity. So I do wonder if there's uh, at least some invitation here to finding unity in, you know, the love of the scriptures together, you know what I mean, as a community. Even though, of course, we'll have our disagreements about how to read them, but at least our focus is on the same thing. I wonder, as an aside with that, with the the infants, is there an implicit gesturing at the final resurrection here? Wouldn't that be when we're at our full stature, is when we're risen like Christ is? So when he talks about being conformed to the image of Christ, that's the end game always. It's, it's being, being conformed to the image of the firstborn from the dead. So, of course, he means live like Christ, but that's on the way to being risen with him. It's interesting. I never thought about it this way, but knowing that this is an honor and shame society, mm-hmm. to address adult males as mm. infants is quite, a, it, yeah, quite shameful. Yeah. So, you should be mature. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, everybody thinks of themselves as mature already as an adult mm-hmm. male. So I wonder if it, you know, this is where Paul is Greek, yeah. so to speak, right? And using the rhetoric that he's so good at. Yes. As to... Hey, you uh, guys are acting like infants. Right. Speaking to, you know, like, let us not, right? All of us. Right. Softens it a little. Right. But remember who you are and who you want to be. So let me appeal to your sense of worth. Mm-hmm. And um, value honor. and honor. Yeah. So it's honorable to be mature, right? Because it's dishonorable to behave as an infant. And this is why then the humility is so strange, because you would think being lo- lowly and meek would be attributes of children, children. that you're right. expecting out of children. And so right. he's kind of playing a game with them in a way by saying, okay, you may be exalted and mature. In worldly Gentile standards, but actually you need to go down, (laughs) become meek and lowly in order uh, to actually become truly mature. Is that the logic of the rhetoric, you think? Yeah, I would. Ah, oh man. Never thought about resurrection in this. Sorry. Yeah, no, I I don't. I never thought of it before either. It's just a, it's on almost every page of Paul. So when it's not explicit, I wonder, like, I don't think that's the main thing. It's just... Oh, yeah. Sometimes yeah, yeah. when he talks about the body of Christ, it has this apocalyptic, okay. eschatological sense also. Not instead of now, right. but the full, it it's seems coming. like the full stature of Christ doesn't come until the end in us, right? Yeah. But maybe it does. I don't know. So, well, back to your original idea. I, it occurs to me back in verse 2 that, I mean, I hate to just make points, but I'm going to do it anyway because sermons sometimes have points. Right. I mean, you got a natural triplet here. Yep. With all lowliness and meekness. And I'm saying that because these are almost identical words to what appears in Matthew 11, right? right. Because I'm mm-hmm. meek and lowly of heart. This is lowly minded and meek. Right. So to, to spend a little time on those concepts, because in some ways, verse three, the making every effort to keep the unity. Well, he's already told us three key ways of doing that. And then in each, then you then you talk about, like you said, that's that contextual awareness, that congregational exegesis that says, right. okay, what's that going to look okay. like here? Yeah. 
in our relationships with each other and with the world. But you could spend some time on on lowliness and meekness in the first and then a second point is with you know macrothumius right with patience which is long fusedness right having a longer fuse right which talk about i mean that's a social media rule right it's like you read a thing it ticks you off put it down think for a minute do i really want (laughs) to respond to this is it really going to help you know or an email you know where you like i've started to have a practice where if I feel a little, if I feel the tiger kind of rising up, like I go over to my notes program and write the email there, not in the email so that I can't just get to the end and press send. It's like, it's a separate step to cut and paste it back. And I know that's slower, but it's, it really right. helps with wisdom because I write it and then I say, nope, nope, nope. I even get to keep it. <laughs> like Then I get to write the sweeter email that just says, you know, you made some good points. Well, I'll right. see you at the next meeting. And that's enough, you know, right. instead of the yes. snap, the angry email. I mean, not everybody works in email, but enough of us do that there could be some just relevant personal applications there in that second one. And then the last is the biggie, right? The the bearing with one another in love. Forbearance as greater than tolerance at a distance to really forbear. Right. So you have to be face-to-face, right? Yeah. We're really carrying each other in our difference because forbearance is something that's often used in the new testament from what i understand even with things that we might judge as sinful right it's not just it's a little different than forgiveness like tolerance might i mean now i'm going to do a little analysis but like tolerance might imply a kind of well you do you i'll do me don't worry about it on one side forgiveness is saying you are in the wrong Mm -hmm. and i'm forgiving you and forbearance is kind of in the middle there where it's like well maybe you're in the wrong maybe you're not but Clearly, there's some something's off between us, and we're going to stick it out anyway, right? And you have to you have to have forbearance for forgiveness to become reconciliation. Because again, I can actually, in some sense, forgive at a distance too. Right. So I can yeah. say I forgive you, but there's no reconciliation without forbearance, which means I continue to be committed to our relationship even when there's some hurt there. Right. Unless I'm misinterpreting pushback. No, if I no, am, no, no, that's correct. I but feel like there's a real just natural three-point sermon in, in two right. with some sideways glance to the rest of the material to fill it out. But. Yeah, and this forbearance also means that we don't need to become one, right? Like as in similar for us to... Because we already are one. That's the beautiful thing. Right. Like so he said, right? we don't have to become similar. We can still be different. Yeah, that's right. right. But learning how to live in love with this difference... So it's it's hard work. Yeah, because then forbearance forbearance runs between the extremes of a kind of enmeshment where we have to have all the same talking points, you know, and and which usually ends up being a fake kind of false right. unity, surface yeah. unity. So there's one extreme would be like an enmeshment, and the other extreme being some kind of detachment, you know, and just kind of and 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 even just division, total. Right total contention like uh, you're over there and i'm over here and we'll just you know and forbearance is in between those it's right. a virtue yeah. between those those extremes of recognizing genuine difference of opinions of values etc but pressing on together as one i really like remembering that the verb in three is keep that we're keeping a unity that already exists yeah though also seeking to attain the fullness of unity you know, uh, 
in the the full stature of right. There's always a high goal, right? Yeah, you've never achieved. Yeah, it's always you can always get better. Right, but we're not creating it out of nothing on our right. own resources. Yeah, right. We don't need to create it; it's already given. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we wrap up today, Laura, would you just have any? And I think I've maybe asked you this before, but it won't hurt. Any just general tips about preaching and teaching on Paul in general or Ephesians in particular, just for our listeners to hear, you know, any pet peeves or suggestions or, you know, things that seem to work. Like when you think about sermons you've heard on Paul in general or Ephesians in particular, you know, what are some of the features of like what what seemed to work versus like when it just doesn't land? Do you know what I mean? Sorry, I'm kind of putting you on the spot with that general no, general question. But. Right. I think that's the general, my general pet peeve. When uh, people read the Bible as if it was written today, <laughs> right, by a modern, yeah. you know, yeah. author looking at the life today, which which is true. That's why it's an inspired word of God and it's applicable. But we do need to realize that it's very culturally bound, mm-hmm. and we do need to understand the culture. So, when we read Paul and forget that he is very, very Jewish and yeah. is thinking and writing as a, you know, rabbi. We tend to interpret him differently, right? As we were just talking, like yeah. he's using Psalm sixty-eight in a particular way because that's how it's been used, and you know he's interp- reinterpreting it in light of Christ because of a particular history, right, and culture. And another pet peeve, especially with Paul, for me, is that sometimes people tend to put Paul above Jesus. <laughs> right, like, right, right. Yeah. This is what Paul says. Kind of forgetting that Paul which Paul says, wouldn't even agree with that, right? <laughs> he yeah. says Jesus is the one, yeah. Right. So how he doesn't is, say one apostle at right. the end of this list. Right. There's it's, lots of apostles, plural. Right. So, one Lord Jesus. Helping people see how Paul is actually promoting Jesus, yeah, right, rather than promoting himself. And well, that comes out in even his first one, the meek and lowly. I mean, that even if he doesn't know the reference in Matthew 11. That Christ Himself says, "I am meek and lowly." Right. So right. Christ is where we get the the image of what this looks like. Right. So, how much of what we find in Paul is actually coming from the Gospels? Mm-hmm. So, but you know, reading good commentaries is always very, very helpful. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, sorry so, to call it pet peeves. I just pet peeves well, have a way of revealing. Uh, right. Values well, and positive values, which is what you gave us. So, right. so pay attention to that, the cultural boundedness, and then also keep the main thing the main thing, that Christ-centered way of thinking, which Paul himself embodies. It's, we right. ironically undermine when we turn him into, into the one apostle. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then also remember that Paul's uh, point of view is only one among many. He just happened to write the most. Right. But we do have, you know, others, Peter and James, and so... And Peter himself even has a discussion of shepherding. Right, um, so... Which would be a nice... That'd be another project. If if anyone's listening in and they're hoping to teach or preach on this text soon and you didn't hear anything here you want to run with, at least as a right. teaching exercise, hopefully there's been good content that you could use as background. But uh, that would be a fun comparison, is read First Peter 5... And compare yes. it with four here and see if maybe you get some insights. Right. And then you're actually giving more of the whole witness of Scripture. Right. Yeah. And, of course, both of them have Ezekiel in the back <laughs> of the mind, maybe Psalm 23, too. And, right. 
And Psalm 77, too. Led them like a flock. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah, God's the shepherd. Right. Well, thanks so much, Larissa. I always have a blast uh, studying the scriptures with you. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'll say, uh, yeah, thanks to all our listeners, as always. Uh, Appreciate you chiming in and listening and getting the word out about the show. Thanks uh, to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And a special thanks to our patron saints who support the show. Uh, If you want to look into find ways to support the show and get some extra content, go to patreon.com slash fresh text. And you can check that out. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.